in the sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Good Monday, Jake Sandos, Mike Gallagher, getting you ready all week for Championship Saturday. ETSU and the Mercer Bears. Well, we got to backtrack because we always like to recap the game we just watched against Western Carolina. We love to talk about Southern Conference football, and there were two spectacular endings. Um, and one's going to shock you. I did watch the Wofford the Citadel in overtime. I actually pulled the video up, watched it live while we were doing the post game. Um, in between Kevin Brown randomly yelling, do you hear me, test, test, do you hear me, test, test, Jay, Jay, you got me, Jay, you got me, test, test, Jay. So in between that, uh, then I did watch that, and I did catch the end of the Chattanooga-Mercer game, as I think every human being on the planet did, because I don't know that I've had more uh, simultaneous text messages come in about, did you see that kick? Did yeah. you see that play? Holy crap, other words I can't say on air, even though it's a podcast, but we're still family show here um, and representing the university, so we won't use those words. But there were words that I was thinking, too, in my head that I didn't say that I was like, I don't believe I just saw that. J- uh, by the way, Jason was my guy. How you doing, buddy? Well, yeah, you didn't you talk about the BMI Furman finish. Oh, that, too. They got hosed all night. I didn't see they it. They got hosed all Yes, so, all three I saw, and all three, all, all the games that didn't involve ETSU, and ETSU had by far the most entertaining first half and first first quarter and first half of any game that went in the Southern Conference. Outrageous. But the ending to all three um, were spectacular um, well, in its to, own way. You'll have to fill everybody in on the oh, well, we'll do People that. haven't seen it because I haven't seen it. I saw, obviously, the kick, and I did not watch the Wofford Citadel finish, but obviously I know what happened there, too. But I heard you reference – a certain play that could have changed the game. Scott Walkenheim, very, very upset, and so on and so forth. Another one-handed play by Michael Jackson in the corner of the end zone. Was, was not a catch, was ruled not a catch. We'll go over it fully later. But, it. It, uh, uh, yes, and there still was time. So, I mean, Furman would have had a shot with a minute 15, blah, blah, blah. blah. Let's talk about yeah, go well, Before we get going, too, yeah. uh, it is crossover season, right? And yeah. props to you for your trip. Props to some ETSU fans, too, because I know there were more than a few that made it to – both the Tennessee and Appalachian State games. I'm quite sure there are plenty in Cullowee for the Western Carolina game. I, just to name a few, I know Jan Stork's doing like the, oh, yes. what you and me would do. I think it's like eight games in 12 days she did, so major props to Jan because... She's doing the equivalent of the minor league ballpark. <laughs> yeah, that's a grind. Uh, a vacation, she called it, but it sounds like a lot of work to me, although obviously she's enjoying every step of the way. And then, like I said, Jared Baldwin, a um, couple of others, Casey Wilkins, you know, a number of people on Twitter, and I'm sure they're... Many, many more, but just random, random guy at Enterprise when I picked the car up Friday who I did not know, and he turned around and looked at me and did double take, and he goes, hey, you getting a car to go to Boone? I said, well, yeah, I'm going to keep it and go to, you know, all that. He goes, hey, I'll see you in Boone. I'll see you in Cullowee. Wow. Said, 
So what about Knoxville? He goes, ah, can't make that on Sunday, but I'll be watching that game. So I, God don't even know made two of the games. Props uh, to the Enterprise guy. So uh, very excited about that, that they were able to go. But it was a – I don't know that I've had a situation where we had three games, three days that were that close in proximity. You know, because I part of the deal of me – and somebody asked, well, why are you tweeting out all the money? I said, because I thought it was laughable that, you know – a round trip was 220 miles. Yeah, I think people you know thought I mean? you were tweeting it out because it was like a lot. Right, really it was right. more the opposite. <laughs> yes, yes. And, and, and I did a terrible job of – I wish there was a sarcasm-like font in Twitter. I've told you this before, Mike, uh, either on or off air or both. But I really wish there was so because I was doing it more in satire, right, satirical, than I was like, oh, my gosh, I hope you guys feel bad for me going on. No, it, I was doing it because it was kind of laughable that – you know, I get to do these on 45 at Western. And it was like six o'clock yesterday, and you know, did a round trip, and I didn't get to the office at, you know, butt crack of dawn or anything. I got to the office, you know, about 7:38 all three days, and then left. So I did it more for that. A lot of people got that joke and was and was doing that, but there were a lot of people that were like, "Man, I don't know how you do. I'm so sorry for you." And I just sent back like, "No, no, 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 no. That, that, I, I'm sorry." Uh, you know, when I did the one where we did. Uh, northern Kentucky, uh, drove up Northern Kentucky, then called a flight to Detroit, to Birmingham, did a game, drove to Savannah from there all in a 24-hour period. We were up for like 20 hours. Now, that was one where, yes, I was probably looking for some sympathy that nobody really cared about. But, no, I was not on this one. It was it was kind of funny. But there were plenty, plenty of fans uh, that made it, and, and athletes, former athletes that made it to both. I saw um, – I didn't see any former athletes unless uh, – they didn't say hello to me at Boone, but I saw plenty of former players at Western. I saw plenty of former players uh, at Tennessee, so that's always a good thing, too. So props to you on the trip, and then props to Buck fans, too, because this was a loaded weekend with some really big implications pretty much everywhere, and obviously we have to start with football because it's the best news, and it's also the biggest news. Well, and it was by far the most entertaining first half for a fan. It was driving me crazy. I'm sure it was driving some – other folks crazy, but if you just tuned in and watched the first half to a, what, 35-35 slugfest, then highly entertaining. And Western Carolina, let me say, they – I think Robert did a nice job of dropping sort of the Steve Spurrier because that's similar to what you would see out of Spurrier. A lot of combination deep routes against coverages where they did a great job of getting a, a guy – designed open and a lot of times Spurrier was such a genius at it that he was like if you see this pre-snap you just throw it to this area and that guy be wide open and I've heard other quarterbacks from you know Danny Warfel on that would be like uh, I just after a while to start trusting coach because I was like you know as a quarterback you're taught to read and throw and he'd be like no don't worry about it if they're in that you throw it down there wide open and then sure enough that's what happened and I kind of felt like early you know the play design that they had against the defenses were were very good and got guys open. Now they missed the first throw and they hit some others, but then Western turned into Western. The turnovers have killed them. Honestly, the the fumble wasn't great because it wasn't like that was a hard jarring hit that knocked a loose, just not good ball security. And then DeAndre Davis made one heck of an interception, and both those ended up in one play touchdown drives for ETSU. It was the sixth and seventh time since Randy Sanders has been the head coach, that they've had one play touchdown drives. It's the third time this season it has happened. But, you know, you have those plays and each issue hitting 
the big hits, and then he had the one special teams blunder. ETSU was kicking um, and covering well, and then to hear Coach post game, base Coach Sanders' way that only he can do. And then I thought, you know, the play of the game is probably underrated. The more I've thought about it and, and going back and just watching a lot of the game again just because I wanted to see, you know, entertaining, not calling it what, what it was like. But Keltner stopping the – I thought Jones was gone. And Keltner did a not a good job on the first attempt. Um, didn't even make Jones slow down. So, to be honest with you, I had – Something I was supposed to broadcast and assume that he wouldn't do that again, and it pretty much booked in my mind it, he it was gone. But he did a nice job. Keltner did of slowing Jones up. Bucks were able to make a tackle. They get a stop, force a field goal, and Western Carolina misses the field goal. And then they get the three and out to start the second half. And then it's the opposite bookend of what we've talked about. We've always talked about Coach Sanders and the Bucks have been great at bookending, score and score. Well, lost in the shuffle is the fact that they were able to hold without points and get a three and out, and then that second half momentum that could have been Westerns was not. So I thought, looking back at it, maybe the biggest underrated play of the game was the fact Tyler Keltner was able to slow down Jones on the uh, Calvin Jones on that uh, second return. I wonder how much both stops right before half played into the defense, getting some confidence, taking that to the locker room, just kind of grasping onto those late positives and building for the second half. And, and I think that's credit to Billy Taylor and everybody on the defense will say, oh, Billy, great leadership and everything. But also, you know, the Jared Folks, right, and the guys that have been out there for just tons and tons of time, Tyree Robinson, and even to an extent Donovan Manuel, you know, uh, Elijah Pickleton even. You know, the more veteran defenders out there to say, look, this can be the moment where we turn this thing around. Yeah, we've given up 35 in the offense that we're facing is, quite frankly, uh, ridiculous at some point to just being able to do a ton of different stuff. And quite honestly, they should have had more in the first half uh, because they did miss that first throw, which I thought was big because they ended up not getting points um, on that drive. But veteran leadership on the field and in the coaching staff to be able to say, let's try and build on this, you know, this veteran group that just blocks out the bad and seems to embrace they're good, and those last couple of drives, I think, was that. Now, I know you're going to think this is a terrible take, but if I'm Kerwin Bell and it's fourth and one with, like, the three-minute mark or whatever it was, I suppose it would have been, yeah, about the three-minute mark, it's fourth and one in your own territory, on your own 30-yard line, and it was an interesting play. This is the second-to-last drive before the end of the half. Rogan Wells scrambles, right, and it looked like he had the sideline, and he could have just run right to – the sticks got maybe a couple of yards past it and gets that first down. Instead, he tries to cut it middle and gets taken down before the first down marker. If I'm Kerwin Bell, I go for it. Again, I know that, especially with getting the ball in the second half and having that kind of fail-safe built in, it seems ridiculous when you're in a tie game, you're an underdog, and you're probably just happy to, at that point, have held Jacob Sailors and Quay Holmes to <laughs> below 200 yards in the first half, right? Because we know what they did in the second half, and we know that Western Carolina has the absolute worst-run defense in the Southern Conference over the last 15 years and have been bottom two in the league over those 15 years outside of one season when they were third from bottom. So I get all that, but if you are in a game tied with ETSU, a potential league champion, and you – 
have won your last three. You've got all this momentum, but you lost your first six, right? The season's essentially over. It doesn't matter what happens in this game. You'd like to win it, right? But you don't have to always make the by-the-book choice because the way your offense is playing, you've scored basically every drive since that first one. You know that you have big play capability. ETSU has not shown the ability to stop you at all. The game doesn't mean anything in the grand scheme of your season. You've got all the momentum right now offensively. So I can make the argument both ways, and I get the conventional play is to punt it away. But why? You know, I, I don't understand that. In hindsight, twenty twenty. At the time, I was like, oh, yeah, it makes sense. But looking back at it now, I don't wonder if those last two drives kind of changed the flow of the game and if Kerwin Bell could have stopped that change of momentum, especially because I'm sure he knows what ETSU can do with a little bit of momentum defensively, and then they went on to shut out Western Carolina in the second half. He wouldn't reconsider that move. No, that very interesting thought. I thought they would go for it a lot on fourth, which they did. Um, and I don't know, maybe if that was 10 yards more up the field, I'm, I'm curious, was it, you know, was it just the fact that if they turn it over there, he knew that was an automatic score, and maybe if you're at your own 40, maybe you've got to make them make at least some yards? It's a great question. But in what world are you not able to get one yard when you put up 35 points in the first 25 minutes of the game? You know what I mean? Like, I know what you're, I know what you're saying, and I agree with it to a certain extent. Well, I'm just trying to put myself into – Right. I, I'm trying to start with what he's thinking. Um, I thought they would go for it and did a lot on fourth because I felt like they knew they had to score because they've not been able to. So a lot of people are like, well, it's a seven-point game. Why in the world wouldn't they kick a field goal? And I'm like, well, no. They, they, I mean, the right play was to go for it, and Jared Folks blew it up and was, you know, just old man Folks um, running down Rogan Wells. I think that's a big play they probably, looking back, would reconsider. I think I thought they were, and everyone else thought they would take, or not take a time, but just let the quarter end. And then he had time on fourth and goal two yeah. to come up with whatever play. That was strange. And I get that. Okay, they got up to the line, and maybe they were like, hey, if we get this look, we're going to go. And I guess they got that look, and they went, and it didn't work. I was – that was baffling, too, because if they take the time, they get the right play, and I don't know that they score, but let's say they score. I mean, even with that, they're tied again. And then folks makes the play, uh, and all three levels, looking back at it, Mike Price was – kind of running down the line with Wells. Wells was looking to cut up. A couple times he kind of stopped and thought, can I cut here? And Price was running with him, so he couldn't. And that allowed Folks to make up some ground on the back end. And then finally, Wells was like, I just got to get to the corner. And Karanda Lentz didn't collapse, as we saw a little bit on an earlier run where Wells got outside on that 33-yard scamper. Karanda Lentz collapsed on that side, and Wells got around him. The Lentz and probably because the goal line's there, probably was more on his mind. He can't get outside me. Did a good job to sort of not just sh- – he didn't shed the block. He just basically took the blocker with him more outside. And, again, he had to keep running around. But those were – that fourth and one I've not thought about in, until you brought it up. But, you know, I, I, you got nothing to lose. You're three and whatever. That, I go back to I think it's a great point by you. I think if you were battling for the playoffs or the, you know – second seed, third seed, whatever, but you three in a row, you're playing a team that more than likely is going to get in the playoffs. You're playing a team that's highly ranked. And that's putting up tons of points on you on that day. Yes, you're and you just it. can't give them the ball for no reason. And so 
using that logic, and I'm getting not thought about it until you brought it up, I, I think I would have been okay if I was a Western fan and or. And, of course, you got to be willing to take the if you don't get it there. But that would be my post game. Like, I mean, we're playing the 10th best team, you know, 11th, whatever we are, 12th in the country, and the, the, by the time this ends we'll be higher ranked than where uh, ETSU was prior to this podcast. But still, looking at that, not waiting on the fourth. That was a couple of just curious calls to me, those two. But other than that, I thought he rolled the dice and, and tried. I mean, they tried onside kick. They tried some pooch kicks. They're not, not really onside kicks, but they tried to kick it high in the sun. Um, ETSU's a little different. Their up backs are skill position people. You know, if you look at a lot of kick teams, I, I started paying attention to that after the short kick where Bryson Irby was able to get a big return and just started looking at who else has, you know, got like tight ends, backup running backs, you know, uh, defensive backs on the kick team, kick return team, because usually there's, you know, linemen or blocking tight ends, tight ends. Not, yeah. not, not guys catching and running with the football, right? Backup linebackers and just – a lot of other things, but there's more skill position on ETSUs, and so I think that plays into, you know, ETSU a little more sure-handed on the catch. Even when Arnold and West ran into one another, <coughs> excuse me, Sheldon Arnold makes a basically a, a baseball-type basket catch over the shoulder and gets blasted by Noah West, but he hangs on the football because he's a skill position guy. Well, if that's somebody who's not used to hanging on to the football, then – you know, I think that that's what they were wanting, the fact that they could get hit, beat, fumble, whatever. So I thought Western tried to do as much as they could when they punted one time. I don't know, was it fourth and two on ETSU side? Uh, I, I was uh, fourth and three, fourth and four, but it was like right at midfield. And they punted one other time, and I was very confused about that. That would be the only other um, time. Pretty sure out of their three punts, they punted once near midfield because ETSU actually got wasn't sure if they were going to get in punt safe, and then there ended up being a delay game. So it was fourth and one or two, then it got delay game, and ended up being fourth and six or seven. And so I thought, and they were on midfield or on ETSU's plus side, and I don't remember when that was in the game, but that was another one. I was like, why wouldn't you go for it there? You've been going for it. So that being said, I think Carl Bell's done a great job. Let's turn the page on Western and just talk about two ridiculously stud running backs. So Jacob Sailors started the game eighth all-time and needed basically 159 yards to get to fourth, and he went from eighth to fourth. So in two weeks, he's been not in the top ten and has climbed the ranks to now he is fourth. He's only behind Brandon Walker, who's about to be passed by Quay Holmes, who's number two, and Brian Edwards. And the two best running back combination tissue history prior to what we're seeing right now, because both these guys are going to have better numbers, were that duo of Walker and Edwards. Yeah, it's crazy to think that the top four are guys that were on the same team with at least one of the other guys. And sharing carries. I mean, think, think about uh, all the other guys pretty much getting solo carries. And I love uh, Gavin Barner, and, and God bless Gavin Barner. I wish Gavin Barner would have had a chance to – play all four years at ETSU with actual full scholarships as opposed to two years in the second year, you know, was 57 guys on the team because they were dropping football at the end of the year and and see what he could have done with all his carries. Now, he has a lot of carries, not a lot of yards, because the simple reason is 
he didn't run behind a very good line. And, and you know, 416 carries for 1,700 yards, I mean, that's just not a lot. You look at the yards per carry for Sailors, and he's he's moving up the ranks of all-time Southern Conference per touches. The total yards, I mean, that's one thing I was talking to Brian Edwards, who was at the Tennessee basketball game. His son is actually signed yesterday to play basketball at Tennessee. And he was just jacked up how he tissues doing. And then I dropped the – and he knew they beat Western, but when I dropped the numbers – on what Sailors did on the number of carries for 266. He just looked and I said, oh, and, by, and he knew Quay. And I said, oh, by the way, you know, Quay had 212 and three touchdowns, and he's an afterthought. And he went, oh, my gosh. And I went, you know, they got a chance to to do some good things this weekend. But Holmes is 86 yards from the all-time rushing list of, and 24 yards from the single-season rushing list of passing George Searcy. And you're talking about those two guys this season, over 2,000 yards rushing for – both when you combine the numbers of homes and sailors. And you just think most schools, Wisconsin, for example, they're going to hand it off to Ron Dane all the time, right? They're going to hand it off to whoever it's going to be. You know? Got the tail. Yeah. You're going to hand that off. That, and then if we could ever get a coach that would just give one of those guys the majority of the carries, and then we would <laughs> Randy Sanders But you, you look at over 2,000 yards with two guys, what they've been able to accomplish, sharing carries, and for the most part, not – not whining about my time, my, my this, my that. And I actually argued at one time I was upset that, and I know they were trying to get Sailors to touchdown, but I was mad they were giving him a carry from two yards in because it was just going to ruin his average. <laughs> I know he wanted the six points, but I was like, ah, he's ruining about 19 yards of carry right now, and I'm going to drop that down to 16. That's embarrassing. Like, you can't, you can't do that. But um, those guys have been tremendous, and I think Quay did a great job to talk about he bought the offensive line donuts when he got 1,000 yards. He talked about there's no real stats for him. You know, they do a thankless job, but couldn't do it without him. What Juwan Martin means to the run game, right? What Tyler Rydell checking into plays, right, to get the right numbers that they want to run the football to. And so I think it's just uh, you, you should enjoy special. And when I was a student, watching the 96-97 kind of two-year spurt because obviously I wasn't around in the 60s, late 60s and 70s when, um, you know, they're rattling off those those great teams. You know, didn't really appreciate what they were doing, so I'm just trying to soak it in and how special really, you know, Edwards and Walker were and then how special we are now seeing Holmes and Sailors, which will be the greatest dynamic duo in ETSU uh, history. Yeah, most rushing yards since football's returned. Way gets the scoring record, and that was something I always talked to Kevin Brown after the game when he got back from call. He was like, I can't believe I forgot to. He was down the sideline just trying to get the damn microphone working. He was like, I can't believe I forgot to ask Quay about the scoring record. I was like, buddy, there were like 12 records that fell yeah. that day. Yeah. Whether You're going to run out of records yeah, at some point. Whether it's since football has been back or in program history, uh, Quay and Jacob, first FCS duo since 2015, Northern Iowa, to put up 200-plus yards in the same game, three touchdowns apiece. I mean, just outrageous single-game rushing record for Jacob, 56, and the 56-35 win. It almost is kind of funny. You look at ETSU a few years ago, you remember the most points that they gave up since football returned? I think it was the most, or it was at least the most against a conference opponent. 56 against Furman, lost 56-35. Well, Furman wears purple, Western Carolina wears purple. Four years later, you got... 56-35, putting up the most points. It's almost kind of a weird – there's just so many things that have Both come full circle. Both road games, too. Yeah, yeah, there's just so many things that have come full circle this year. Um, and there's just such different levels that this team is taking it to. And 
I mean, those stats are just a few. Jawan Martin, you mentioned, his first touchdown over two yards in his career, right? Mm. And now he should have had one earlier this season. Actually, I think we talked about it on Thursday, funny enough. And then he goes out and has like a nearly, a, what was it, like a 25, 20, 26 yards? 28, yard, so nearly a 30-yard touchdown. And finally is able to not just be that guy that's right around the goal line, play action out in the flat. He gets a big play for him. I mean, hit the big play with your fullback. You know, your offense is doing some pretty good things. So it truly is not only, you know, those two running backs. They're going to get all the credit. But, I mean, what are the commonalities when it's Quay or Jacob? Either one are in, the offensive line, the fullback. Like, it's it's really impressive what they're doing on the ground. Uh, Matt McCutcheon, who's the offensive line coach, posted kind of a quick summary. He tweeted it out and was like, over 450 yards rushing, you know, seven run yards. Um, two 200-yard rushers, most yards football has been back. And you'll just look at it. Each other and said, you know what, two 200-yard rushers. Because <laughs> ETSU had only had, I believe, seven or eight 200-yard rushers going into that for its history. So we knew they had not had, as a matter of fact, let's see, two, four, six, seven, seven. They had seven 200-yard yeah, so eight and nine. So that was the eighth and ninth time wow. ETSU's had a 200-yard rushing by a running back. And so no one's going to predict that in the nation rushing. Second in rushing touchdowns as a team. And so it seems that, you know, that is the MO, what you should do. Hand the ball off and go. Now, that being said, Chattanooga's a very good running team. We'll talk about the Mercer Bears a little bit later as that goes somewhere else. But – just an outstanding day and for the Buccaneers. Defensively, the turnaround they were able to do, I thought was spectacular again to see what they do. The red zone stops, yes. again, spectacular. The Jared folks can't get lost in the shuffle what he was able to do. And then also want to bring up the fact that Tyree Robinson, yet another interception on what Coach Sanders said. That was like the same play Furman threw. We've thrown two interceptions. Let's see if anybody else will run it. And Robinson, I believe, is the guy that was out of position because Zach West came off his key to drop back to get the interception. And that time, Tyree's like, nope, seen this before. And so shows you what a high-level um, guy he is and high football IQ. Third downs were a bit of a struggle in the first half, just one of six, but then turn that around in the second half. I mean, there's so many things to look at the first half and go, man, it was so bad. But I'm always amazed with how – Nobody this year has really been able to put 60 minutes together offensively against ETSU's defense. And I think that is the biggest reason that ETSU, you know, continues to do things. Yes, the offense has picked up. The offense has done more. They are scoring more. They are producing more. But when you know, rather and more times than not, it's the second half. But let's just use an example of like Sanford. The first half, Sanford didn't really do a whole lot against ETSU. Bucks forced turnovers, held them out of the end zone a lot. And then the second half, Sanford kind of ran wild. Well, we've seen that a couple times. You know, VMI first half, not very good. Second half, good. Well, Furman, you know, uh, not Furman, sorry, but Wofford was able to get those touchdowns in the first half, right? Not a lot going on in the second half. Then we saw this last game, Western got stuff going in the first half, not much second half. But they've just, ETSU's really done a great job of not allowing a team to get four full quarters of offense on them. Just, you know, for whatever reason, they've been able to make them play a half of, football they don't want to play, and then ETSU defense has given up some points and a half, but it just hasn't been enough to eclipse whatever ETSU has been able to do on offense. 
on the red zone. Ten stops now. And the impressive part to me, outside of the very obvious, that you're only allowing 69% of opponents' trips to the red zone to be successful, is that you've got the 10 stops in just 32 trips from the opponent. And that's the third fewest times that a team has been to the red zone on a Southern Conference team. And 10 stops is the most in the Southern Conference. So you've got the third fewest trips with the most stops. I mean, it's absurd. Next closest team, percentage-wise, Chattanooga, very good defense, right? They've allowed 76% of opponents to score that get to the red zone. You've got the 10 stops. Five of them are officially by interception. But then you add that red zone plus, right, 25 and in, and you got the two extra interceptions. It is absolutely absurd how they step up right when they need to be at their best. Like, it's bend, but then break the opposing offense. <laughs> it's insane. I just don't know how it continues to happen. And it continues to happen in different ways. Yeah, we said five interceptions, but uh, the fumble, right, a couple of weeks ago against VMI. Um, you've gotten it on downs. You've, you've had a missed field goal, sure, and, you know, you can argue about how much you really have to do with that, whatever. Um, clearly the body of work is there to say they're going to find a way. Uh, Donovan Manuel had 15 tackles. I mean, back-to-back games with 15-plus tackles. He's been all over the place. Um, it seems like a team, especially like Western, when you, you can't play defense. Right, They are a sieve, specifically on the ground and have been for the better part of the last two decades. You almost have to play perfect offensively. And that first miss to Jacoby Quillen over the middle on the first play of the game, huge. Um, this one you won't think about as much, but second drive of the second half, it was second and seven, driving to try to get in the red zone, and uh, missed a, a post-quarter. I think it was to Calvin Jones. And he had about six or seven yards between yeah, he overshot him. the yeah, defender in front that. of him and the defender behind him, and that would have been a first down down to about the 10-yard line. And instead, you end up taking a sack, getting pushed out of field goal range to take a punt. And again, I know it just sounds like a play or two, but when you have a defense that is surrendering 42 points per game as an offense, and this is difficult for an offense, right? Even one with the caliber of player that Western has with Rogan Wells and the Joneses, um, Kenny Benjamin and Raphael Williams, you know, They've got tons of talent. Jacoby Quillen, you know, showed up. Um, they've got tons and tons of talent. But even missing out a player or two can be catastrophic in trying to beat a team like ETSU that is going to be able to just ram it down your defense's throat the entire day. And Western did a great job of making ETSU one-dimensional, but it just didn't matter. And that second half, I counted the plays up, 29 rushes to five passes. And I think that you and me have, at different points – um, specifically the last few weeks, had a couple of questions about, you know, well, should we have maybe gone to the run earlier? Or, you know, Randy seemed like he maybe got a little bit bullheaded in this situation. This situation hasn't hurt ETSU. Um, but I think on Saturday against Western, there was one thing on Coach Sanders' mind, and it was, you know, let's just hand it to our guys. Let's hand it to our horses because they're going to dominate this game. And they did and I know Randy wants to throw it. He's a quarterback guy. Um, so props to him for having some self-control on that, right? Like, it may not be flashy. You know, it may not be exciting. It may not be what he wants to do. He wants to have balance, right? We know that. But who cares about balance when you're running for almost 500 yards? And he recognized that, too, which i got to give him credit for. I also think it 
has to be noted that both running backs were in a lot and were the league blocker a lot for one another. Oh, my God. Quay Holmes had a couple of pancakes downfield. I think it was Jacob Saylor's first touchdown run, that 35-yarder. He wipes somebody out on the edge, uh, straight like Tremont Short style, like road grading or uh, Joe Schreiber on the long screen, uh, the 77-yard screen where he got the love from you know Jeff Saturday. Like, it was depleting. Keltner, I was sitting on the field goal thing, but didn't need that, so we'll sit on that one too. It was another record. So a lot of things, Huzzy uh, didn't uh, factor in a lot because he didn't need to, so he's getting ready to get in the record book. So still things to keep up with uh, that will be busy day and fodder for the radio and the TV broadcast coming up on the de facto championship Saturday, ETSU and Mercer. Southern Conference football recaps and reactions after this timeout. San Jose on the Buccaneers Sports Network. You'd be amazed to learn what one Tennessee lottery ticket can lead to. For you, it could be lucky, but for others, it could open the door to so much more. With more than $6 billion raised for education, the Tennessee lottery has proudly funded over 1.5 million scholarships and grants. That means, on average, more than 130,000 Tennesseans every year continue their education just because you play. The Tennessee Education Lottery, game-changing, education-benefiting fun. field goal, get nothing. Then, early in the fourth, 
the one turnover we didn't mention yet. Alim Ford puts it on the ground, and midfield turns it over. The next drive, one of Copeland's two interceptions. The drive after that, just your standard three and out. And then the icing on the cake for the mocks. They allow Mercer to go down the field with five minutes left, kick a field goal, make it 10-6 to six after it was 7-6 for the previous 30 or so minutes of the game. The ensuing kickoff, sweet mother of Mary J. Sandoz. I texted you right away. I was one of the many people that was like, oh, my gosh, did you see that? The kickoff nails one of the up men for chat. Mercer recovers. My question to you, do you think it was planned or not? No. I think, I think it was because we had a play at our Division three school that was exactly that. Uh, and we ran you it can ask times. Drew Conklin when you show, which I got to oh, say. Well, he's not Drew Conklin. I'll ask Drew Cronick then. No, right? Right? Either one. Upset. Either one. You can talk to whoever. Uh, Wilcox, whatever his name is. I think it was you asked. I think they were just trying to squib, and he hit off the lower leg of the up back and shot back basically to the kicker. It was perfect. And it was unbelievable. De facto onside kick, uh, on purpose or not, the ultimate dagger to what seemed like a frustrating day for Chattanooga. A couple of the interceptions and fumbles – because I watched basically the rest of the knees that Mercer took out, and on the rollout, they showed a couple of the turnovers. And, I mean, a couple of them were just baffling. There was one interception where Copeland gets hit, and the ball shoots up and almost backwards seven yards where a defensive lineman who had gotten blocked out of the play just turns around and catches the ball behind the line of scrimmage. And then there was another one at the line of scrimmage where a ball was deflected. And he was able to pick it up. And then it was a weird fumble that, that kind of happened. It was just odd, but five turnovers and a 22-yard missed field goal kind of sums up the day. And I think there were two missed field goals for uh, Chattanooga. But two missed field goals, five turnovers. I mean, so all, many missed turnovers. Yes. And then you're sitting there looking, and the final score was what it was. It's like, holy cow. And then it wasn't like Mercer was worried world beaters. I mean, you look at the total offense and Chattanooga 285 is not spectacular, but you throw in five turnovers on it, it's almost impressive. They could still get 285 yards of offense turning over five times. And Mercer, Mercer winning the game with 163. Yeah. Totally orange. I mean, incredible. And, and and really their best they had two drives, if you look at it, that you're like, okay, those are good drives. And one of them was the one to get the field goal. You know, got a couple of plays and How did they start the game with? Four straight three and outs? Uh, yes. <laughs> and what is that, a total of eight, 13 yards? 13 <laughs> yards. They this, they finally went um, 12 plays, 68 yards for a touchdown. They did miss a field goal themselves, which I did watch that um, in the third quarter. And then they got one that snuck in. They almost missed that one in the fourth quarter that went in to put them up 10-6 uh, at that time. But it was, it was a slugfest. Um, Chattanooga was not really – confused by Mercer who does the the line starts on one side of the ball and then they shift and the guard goes the other side of the line and then they send people I mean that was not wasn't a whole lot there Chattanooga's front is still the best in the Southern Conference and I thought handled all of that they played assignment football and that's really sort of the deal if you can play assignment football and not get caught in all the the sort of the wing tee principles and um, three back principles that they try to work in and I just think if you know if you try to make Fred Payton beat you, I think that's the game plan. Yes. Right? If you try to shut down the rushes, Fred Davis eleven carries, twenty five wow, yards. 25. Fred Payton fourteen carries for negative one. I mean he got sacked three times, but 
still 14 carries for the quarterback and you total one yard. I mean, it's not like you got sacked eight times out of ten carries. So, out of the back to Chattanooga, thanks. There's the blueprint. I mean, exactly what they did, I'm sure, is what ETSU will try to do this week against Mercer. Um, I'll say this. If it was not intentional, that late kick that ended up with Mercer recovering, Chattanooga doesn't get the chance to go down and uh, get the game-winning score, I suppose you'd have to at that point because it was a four-point game, couldn't tie it with a field goal. And all the credit to Mercer, of course, because they did some great things defensively, but is that not one of the luckier outcomes? I mean, how often will you see a team with 163 yards win a missed 22-yard field goal, a, again, if you're right, a made-up onside kick that you didn't intend on that in the very most important moment of the game seals it for you. I mean, there's a ton of things I look at, and I'm like, what is going well, on? Well, it almost seems like a blueprint I saw last year because I saw one team get 382 yards <laughs> to 219. I saw one team with three turnovers, including one return for a touchdown, and that team being ETSU losing to Mercer 21-13. So I told, when I looked at the stats um, after the game, I told Robert Harper, or maybe it was Kevin Brown, I told one or the other, that I thought that played out eerily similar to ETSU's game last year because in everyone's mind, I think it was ETSU was awful, didn't play well, you know, a bunch of stuff. But I was like, I kind of felt like they dominated a majority of the game except for the score. And if you looked at a majority of the game at Chattanooga, they dominated a majority of the game except for the score. I mean, it's a one-point game, and then the lateral is taken back, and then it's, a, it's an eight-point game. But you're just sitting there even as bad as, you know, you kind of felt like ETSU was playing at that time. I mean, it was still a one-possession game with the three turnovers and, again, almost 400 yards of offense. I mean, ETSU threw for 228 that day. Now, I'll say this. If over a long period of time this keeps happening and Mercer keeps winning because they've won 10 of the last 12 conference games, I suppose we can't just sit here and say, well, look at Lucky Mercer, you know. And that's not even really what we're saying right now. I think there is a certain element of that to a victory like they had against Chattanooga and the one they had against CTSU back in April. But they clearly have some kind of formula figured out. If you've won 10 of your last 12, you're able to win a variety of different ways. They put up some points against some teams that they should have beaten, right? But in these games against an ETSU or a Chattanooga title contending teams, I suppose it does make sense that they would want to play this type of game because they know that they cannot keep up, right? Their offense is not built for it. So while we want to hammer them a little bit on how they're winning, they are still winning and incredibly have themselves in the Southern Conference Championship game on Saturday. For Chattanooga, in your mind, with that loss, is it as easy as win and you're in this Saturday against the Citadel? I would assume it is. Um... I guess the big thing for Chat, they did not play a non-D1. So that is good news for them because they they got the extra win at the FCS level. So if they win again and go 7-4 and four with seven FCS wins, I think they're going to get in. That's generally a magic number. If you can get to seven FCS wins for the most part. Nearly beat Kentucky, too. Yeah, I, know it's I, don't, I, don't, I don't know how the near – I don't know how near – misses play into yeah. it. Uh, but I do know the committee is big on you have to have seven FCS wins to sort of be in the conversation, which is why for Mercer that was a big win because 
they're now seven and two. But the problem is, I think I think Mercer still has the automatic. I think if Mercer loses, they're seven and three, but they have six FCS wins, and I think that's just not going to be enough. That, that's going to be my thought for Mercer, and in VMI. I think they've got to win to have an outside shot now. I think they may be the team outside looking in because they have. Oh, I think that loss kills them. Isn't it, isn't it over for them at this point? Well, if they win, they would be 7-4, and four, hmm. which would put them equal with Chattanooga, and they each have seven FCS wins. Interesting. And VMI beat Chattanooga if you want to go that route. So, um, True. I think there's still a shot. Both would have to win, obviously, because right. they need seven. Mercer, I think the scenario is when you're in, lose your out. And we'll just have to see when the rankings come out. Do BMI and Chattanooga drop completely out? And, again, you still don't know the committee. Uh, they look a little bit at rankings, but it's not like it's their end-all, be-all because you can look at the seeds every year, and they're never the top eight that the pundits seem to think are the top eight. So um, I think both win. They have a shot. I think – Chattanooga a little bit easier to go with the Citadel than VMI's got Western. <laughs> I think that's, I think um, that's going to be interesting. But if both teams go seven and four, it wouldn't shock me if one got in. And the question then would be, would the VMI win over Chattanooga put them in? And that would be tough because the eye test to me says Chattanooga is better Gosh, than I think VMI. So much better than VMI. I agree. I, I totally agree. Uh, but. If you go to, hey, you can, you know, it's why supposedly FCS is better because it's settled on the field, right? It's not we think teams are better, and here you go. It's like you get in, you figure it out. But to get to that point, they still have to guess who's better than who. And with the head-to-head at that point, what what do you do? What do you do? Do you just look at them and go, well, you know, the Citadel loss is going to be the ultimate, even though VMI beat them, is that Citadel loss ultimately going to keep you know, VMI hammered Mercer. Well, Mercer, be, I don't know. It, it'd be curious to see. So let's say Mercer wins, because you think that's the only way that they're because they just don't have enough. They don't have enough FCS wins. wins. So let's say they win. ETSU obviously loses in that case, but we're both with that Western Carolina win under the assumption that ETSU is in regardless. And Chattanooga and VMI win. Does the SoCal get four? Ooh, that's a good one. I think they would only get three. Uh, gosh, that's a good question. I'd have to do a little more research. Just off the top of my head, I'm going to just say generically, no, they don't respect the league enough to give four, and one of the Chattanooga VMI would be left in the cold. You wonder if one of them would be punished because a Mercer team that otherwise would be quote unquote undeserving. Yes, would be in. Now, it, well, if they won, if they won, they would have seven, sure, and, sure. That, and that would get them. But you know what I mean? If right. you take away, sure. The fact that they, you know, have and it's yeah, it's a very interesting conversation. Okay, uh, VMI Furman, we talked about how this was a bad matchup for VMI. Now it was only later you told me after I thought I was a genius for thinking this was a bad matchup for the Keynets that I actually didn't have to be a genius to know that VMI had beaten or I sorry had lost to Furman 26 of the last 28 times. I immediately, of course, felt stupid, but in the end, still a bit vindicated because Furman probably had what you'd say is their best all-around day of the season. Jace Wilson was back out there as the starting quarterback. Cam Sisson sits. Looked like the wrong choice early. Wilson was 4 of 12, 23 yards in his first 12 attempts. But wow, did he turn it on. 9 of 12 for 246 and two touchdowns on his last 12 attempts. Devin Wynn, Clay Hendricks said after the game, wants to play, but he's just not able to put in a full game right now. Did make brief appearances, but just three carries, which means it was more Dominic Roberto. And 
what do you know, another 100-yard game. Good day for the offense behind a reworked offensive line that's piecing things together because of injuries. The Paladins led 17-0 early. BMI got the lead to three in the second and third quarters, then down to two at the end of the third quarter, but could never take the lead. Uh, the way you made it sound, there was some drama and controversy late in this one. And again, I didn't watch it. I was so caught up in Chat Mercer that I missed it. What had Scott Walkenheim so fired up at the end of this game? Third and goal from the six. They ran a little fade route they ran. Actually, same play. Um, it looked like that they ran against uh, Chattanooga. Not Chattanooga, Sanford. And he made a one-handed catch to win the game. And looking at it, Jackson jumps in the air. There's a bobble. It looks to me he has the ball tucked in with one foot on the ground, and then that foot comes up and is – right foot, his left foot is down, and his right foot comes up and lands out of bounds. Hmm. And it was originally called incomplete. They go to the review. I've, and, of course, I've, several people have done the still shot, which is unfair because that doesn't – he was juggling. I think the still shot, you're like, oh, that's terrible. And it's not great. But they go to the review. They slow it down multiple times and eventually stick with the call in the field. It was not really the uh, – call is confirmed or whatever is just the play on the field stands or whatever the generic of you know we don't feel confident without a shadow of a doubt and this is where I think the league has always gotten it wrong and I've talked to multiple coaches about this is, and I'm not saying you should cheat to help teams in but it always seems like the team that is battling to try to get in or get an at large or whatever is in multiple sports always get hosed in some call at the end of the game. And I think looking at it multiple times, it looked like a touchdown to me. And I thought VMI and Scott Wachnam has a gripe. I don't have a problem with the officials saying that they just stuck with the call in the field because they felt like it was inconclusive or there wasn't enough to overturn it. Because they didn't say it was confirmed. They didn't say – Obviously, it was enough to overturn it. It was basically the call in the field stance. Now, VMI had another play on fourth down, which was not a very good play, and then Furman takes over and wins. So, still had an opportunity if you want to look at it that way on fourth and goal. But third and goal in the sixth with about a minute and a half to go, Michael Jackson, to me, appears to have it. Now, that being said, Furman in the second half had got things rocking and rolling, and so I'm not guaranteeing Furman – would have won the game because they have a pretty good field goal kicker, Timmy Bleakrow, right? Now, unless they kick a 62-yarder again, which I think maybe they've learned their lesson, but they would have a minute 30, give or take, with Chase Wilson, who's been very good in the second half, to try to get in field goal range. And that's assuming VMI hits extra point, which let's assume they do. It would be 38-37, and then a minute and a half. So I don't even think that VMI is guaranteed a win there or should automatically – Assume that I'm just thinking that should have been a touchdown kickoff. Let's see what Furman does with a minute and a half. And because they had been successful, I think it would have been a very interesting ending on if Furman could have got down the field enough and got a field goal attempt off. Um, but I think Michael Jackson, to me, Nick and I watching scored, watching replay, I think scored. I, I don't, I don't have a huge problem with how it was handled because they went with what was called. And they worded it as such as, we don't feel like it was absolutely undisputable. Now, I'm going to show you the play later, and you can tell me what you think later. 
off air, but um, it was an interesting play. And for Walkingham, who has last couple weeks has just been blowing up uh, SoCon officials because he's felt like <laughs> he has been hosed on so many different levels. I don't blame him. And, and, and we have obviously talked about we thought they got hosed on the Jacob Harris, and I ended up scoring, so it didn't cost VMI versus ETSU. But I thought that was a review where there was enough evidence to overturn it. So, again, we slant ETSU, but we try to be fair, and I was fair on the radio broadcast, yeah, I'm sure you were on the TV broadcast. ETSU on the TV broadcast. No, I, on that play specifically, I think I just – uh, When Don Hellman agrees, okay, that's how you know. Yeah, you're right. When Don Hellman gives you the – Jay, that's a touchdown. I'm going, okay. Yeah. If Don is giving it the without a doubt it goes against the team he's pulling for, then it is it is what it is. Replay reviews obviously lacking in the center conference in terms of accuracy. Um VMI didn't have Jacob Harris or Leroy Thomas, and they still threw for, like, 450 yards. So, shorthanded still had such a successful day. Max Brimijan's a nice player. He reminds me, he's yeah. any typical little slot guy that can just create space, and in that type of system, perfect for him. He had 136 yards. So, they were even shorthanded and still were in that game and still maybe should have won it, but credit to Furman because, again, I, I think they played their best game of the season. Um, and, and the year, if they're able to – win their last game this week, um, all of a sudden doesn't look so bad. Finally, it may be the final game for Josh Conklin in Southern Conference play as his Terriers wrapped up their SoCon season this past week. Wofford in the Citadel, and pretty fitting that this game went the way it did to me. I certainly had no idea who was going to win. I favored the Citadel slightly, if you remember, because of their run game, but truly this one could have gone either way. Conference competitive at the top and equally as competitive at the bottom, at least when it comes to the league's bottom two teams, that was being these two. It was a good start for Cochran's crew. They were up 14-3, 21-10, 28-17 after scoring just before halftime. But the second half held certainly some different things for the six scores in the final 30 minutes of regulation go for the Bulldogs. Terriers able to set it to overtime with a field goal under one minute to go. Once in overtime, the Bulldogs scored on a Jalen Adams run. Walker then responded as Peyton Derrick. Jay Sandoz, yes, Peyton Derrick. Welcome back. Got to see him again after a number of weeks out of the lineup in favor of Bryce Corriston and Kyle Pinnocks. Threw his fourth touchdown of the day. Didn't get to 200 yards, but had four touchdowns. An o- offensive exhibition by both of these teams, or it certainly could have been bad defense, obviously, too, rather than great offense. Either way, Conklin figures, you know what? Season sucks. I don't want to play anymore. Not another minute of Southern Conference football, maybe ever. Let's go for two. And they don't get it and lose 45-44. to 44. Adams, a great day. Four touchdowns, two on the ground, two in the air. Four rushers over 50 yards on the ground for the Bulldogs. Great game. Good to see the teams competing, but for Wofford, the game that really kind of defined their season, right? Even when they were good, which wasn't often, they weren't good enough. And the last time that they won just one game in the fall was 1987. They had never had a Division One year in which they were winless in league play. Of course, they went Division One in the mid-90s. Um, in fact, including the spring, these are the only two years they haven't won multiple games in league play at the Division One level. Um First of all, they have the third longest losing streak in FCS right now at nine games. It's the first time, I think, since 99 they were defeated uh, in league play and not won a game. They did decide, let's just go for the gusto, in a game that was in the 60s that I think we would have never thought would have ever happened. And they try to run a little bit of a motion trick type play, and then Derek threw, underthrew the ball in the end zone. Um, the defensive back was right there, knocks the ball away. It was in Charleston. They go and celebrate, and 
uh, have a good time. And then the right guard, as they're panning to show the celebration, goes and sticks his finger in Peyton Derrick's face and is uh, giving him the business and uh, apparently unhappy with the throw. And so the frustrations have clearly boiled over uh, for the Walford Terriers as that was their last shot to get a win because do you see them coming with the upset of North Carolina? I, Are you going to predict that in bold predictions, bold wow. prediction guy? Well, I've made some really bad picks this year. That might be the worst of them all. Yeah. They so got them next week, November 20th. Right. So we're in, it's going to be a double-digit losing streak. Incredible. I just never saw that coming. How As bad as they've been in their Division One era. Fair? Uh, yes. Yes. I don't know how in the world. Coach Conklin would be able to survive, or want to survive that, or survive it, or whatever. <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, you think I he's was, taking the season to get out, I see. I, I was also shocked that you, you mentioned that, but then the number of touchdown passes in the game. Yeah. Jalen Adams had a couple. Which, Six. by the way, if I if I do the math, if he throws two, it counts as a rush, right? That's that, right. Is that number? Okay. That's, All right. That's for later, anyways. Yes. Okay. Uh, yeah, rough game for Wofford. It's been a rough season, and for the Citadel, you wonder if a win over Wofford, and now a couple of wins in league play could possibly buy Brent Thompson some time. Possibly. Perhaps. Uh, possibly. I mean, if they beat Chattanooga, right? I mean, sitting there going. They're not beating Chattanooga. Uh, they're not either. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's all I got on uh, SoCon. It's a big weekend. Southern Conference Championship game, and apparently, according to you, you think that there's some other big games, too? You think BMI still got a shot? I do. They, I think I, Chattanooga obviously is in position if they can beat the Citadel. So it is a big slate. We'll preview it on Thursday. Yeah, but I think three of the four teams, uh, because obviously, I, I guess four, te- four teams are still alive. ETSU is in. Three teams are alive. How's that? ETSU's in. Okay. Three teams are still alive. They all three need to win wow. to state their case. No, None of the other teams can lose. Mercer can't lose. VMI can't lose. And Chattanooga cannot lose. They all three have to win to stake their claim. In your to mind. Win. In my mind. Okay. Well, Mercer for sure, because it would be automatic. So Mercer wins for sure they're in. Lose, I think, for sure they're out. They don't have seven wins. And for Chattanooga VMI, they have to win to be in. Certainly VMI, Chattanooga, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, they'd wow, stake their it's six. crazy to think the Chattanooga may miss. That would be rough if they did not make the postseason. They're seven and four and didn't get in. That would be tough. That would be tough, that's for sure. All right, that'll do it for our SoCon recap. Four quarters makes a comeback Four quarters. after this timeout. Santa Sidekick on the back of the air, Sports Network. For over 75 years, Bright Ridge has powered our community, providing the energy to live, work, and play. And now we're looking ahead, investing in our community today, and building the infrastructure to power our community tomorrow. We're supporting zero-emission electric vehicles, Harnessing the sun to provide clean, renewable community energy and expanding into broadband services for our shared future. Bright Ridge, your community power here for you. One, two, three, four.
quarters are still relevant at the college level because of the women's game. Okay. But before we get into specifics on the quarters themselves, your general thoughts on the weekend for ETSU men's basketball. Lost to Appalachian State, tight in Boone. Lost to Tennessee and Knoxville, not so tight. I'm going to take you on a little trip here of logic. Okay, a little trip of logic. I'm not sure I'd ever follow you on a okay. logic trip, but here I guess I have. The first two games last year, do you remember who they were? Uh, yes. I, it was Abilene Christian, and you got slaughtered. Uh, and it was a team that I think anyone that knew anything about college basketball knew you'd probably get beat pretty handily by. Second one was oh, Terry Taylor, late basket, five seconds, lost by one. Austin P. Yes, oh, correct. Beautiful memory. Oh. What happened in the third game when he played a, an atrocious Middle Tennessee State team? Uh, beat him by double digits, if I remember right. It was like 56-43. It was, it was a disgusting game, but one. Okay. I'm just going to draw a small comparison here. That was a new staff trying to figure things out. I think new staff, tight win. I would compare the App State to the Austin P, where ETSU late in the game could have won the game. ETSU, Appalachian State, that's a team that's been – together, been a tournament team, returned the staff and everything, knew one another, could have won the game. Aberlin Christian won a game in the NCAA tournament. Tennessee also won a game in the NCAA tournament. Now, Tennessee's better than Aberlin Christian, I would believe, especially after watching the pro run in the point in China. 24 out of 25 times, right. Yeah, so still, I would compare those two. So the panic button will not be hit. If ETSU wins at home against USC Upstate, I think you just go, okay, they're going to learn, they're going to continue to go, move on. If, obviously, it's a rough day at home against USC Upstate, which I don't believe they were picked very highly in the Big South, then I think you can go into panic mode. But just like last year, game one was panic, game two was like, eh, okay, we got a little better. This one was a little flipped. Game one, you're like, oh, yeah, here we go. We're going to beat Tennessee. And then you get beat, and you're like, oh, my gosh, what are we doing? Oh, what? Ugh. Just. So, I just. Middle Tennessee was the bottom of the Conference USA. USF State is, give or take, the bottom of the Big South. I think if ETSU wins that, everyone calm down. Because people seem to forget that ETSU was 13-12 and 12 last year. With a couple of guaranteed wins, they didn't get a play against Samford. And, honestly, I think even the BMI game probably would have been a win for ETSU. And the Bucks would have been several games over 500. So, I just think – and that's actually a 13-11 uh, or 12-11 going in the tournament, right? They went once in 13-12, though. So, they would have been 15-16 wins going into the Southern Conference tournament and would have had a better seed – in the Southern Conference Tournament, just with the number of games. And last year is very hard to compare because of all the weird stuff that happened. But that would be my quick take and sort of trip around, uh, you know, my logic on where I think ETSU men's basketball That was a fun logic trip. Well done. Yeah. And led, led very impressively, I do have to say. MTSU was 3-13 and in league play last year, 5-18 and overall. And USC Upstate was projected dead last in the Big South this year in the preseason poll. So uh, good comparison, uh, I believe. Now, am I going to go ahead and press the panic button? Jay Sandoz, I know you'd like to panic button. Are we going to do it? Press the panic button? First quarter. Okay. I'm not going to press the panic button. No, I'm not. ETSU's four best players in order after two games, and you have to take in their entire body of work, not just these two games, obviously, asking if, through two games, your perception has changed at all. My list right now is Ladarius Brewer, David Sloan, Jordan King, and Ty Brewer in that order. Ladarius Brewer, 
Say it again. Second was Sloan. Keen. Other brewer. Yes. I'm going to agree. I'm going to agree. I think. Um, Obviously, concerning night one with Jordan, but comes back as a big. Well, and, and I'll be honest. Um, Ty Brewer. I don't know if that thumb injury has played into his slow start, because that's all we heard about was how great. He was in the preseason. He was the best player offensively and defensively. His shot has not looked right. Is it? And it is on his shooting hand, his thumb. Is the thumb more of an issue right now for Ty Brewer than what is really known? And if so, when that gets a little better, he picks it up. And obviously, it's fluid ranking. We can rechange it if we want to. Um, King and Sloan, I kind of felt flipped. Game one, Sloan was off the charts, great, and kind of, meh, game two, and flip that. Coughlin was kind of, meh, game one, and then as, you know, mid-late first half into uh, second half, then he kind of turned the corner. So um, I can go with that, and obviously Darius Brewer has proven right now in two games that he is kind of who we thought he was, if you will. Fucking Denny Green him. King did have seven turnovers. obviously a very good Tennessee team. <laughs> but does that concern you at all with Jordan King? Well, if he plays another top ten uh, player in the country, it would. But I don't think he is. Chuck it up to the opponent. So okay. I, I, Chandler was the best player I've seen in person in two or three years. Wow. He was – he could have had 35 at any moment. And if he would have played more than 23 minutes, he probably would have had 20 points in that game. And then, you know, probably throw three or four more assists on that. But if he's, I believe, is going to be one and done, and he was as good as advertised. Second quarter, 32 threes per game is too many to take. True or false? Straight true or false? I'm going to say true. Even for a system like the one he wants to run, that's 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 the. I've only seen two games in the new system, so that's why I was struggling with it, true or false. I know they want to get to 75 possession. I'm just trying to think. So if you took 30, I mean, almost 50% of your shots from three, that would be 140%. So, no, nah, I'm going to change. I'm going to say false. I think you got 40% from three, 60% from two with the style they want to play and more. I think – they play two teams that were able to command the style and the flow of the game. And I think if they can get the flow where they want to, then I think 40% shots from three with guy. And if you're, I'll say this, if you average 10 threes a game and you take 32, I will take that, um, I think, all day. So. 30, what is that, 31% from three? That's not very good. It's okay. Is it? It's 10 three. Well, again, if you get the game up and down, you get uh, – um, a lot of possession there. I assume ETSU is going to have more layups and transitions, which they had in App State but did not at Tennessee. I think of liked teams, they will have easy transition buckets uh, moving forward. Third quarter. After a lackluster first two games, Silas Adeke stays in the starting lineup despite just five points, five rebounds, and some lackluster defensive play in both games, specifically pointed out by Desmond Oliver in that first game. You understand, obviously, against the Tennessee, but in that first game against Appalachian State, that was what seemed to irk him a bit more. Will he stay in the starting lineup going forward? 
I think there's no other option. I, I, are you going smaller? I suppose would be uh, it. Yeah, but I don't think that's how. I don't. I don't foresee them doing that um, yet. They have not shown any of that in any game. So I think the five position is two players and Adeke and Weber. And I think that is going to be the rotation that they are going to do now. Smaller is relative because I think Jaden Seymour looked pretty good yesterday against Tennessee and was kind of okay against um, App State. So he got better game one to game two. 190-pound center would be a bold move. In the Southern Conference, I don't think it is. Against Chattanooga and Avery Diggs and Silvio DeSosa. No, I mean, yeah, BJ Mac, I mean, it's okay. It's fine. Okay. It's fine. Um, I mean, do you have another option then? Who else are you playing? If you're going to go, no, if you're going to go small, then right. I don't know who else would play the five right. position. You could go mega athletic and play Ty Brewer at the five. Mega athletic, because he's all, the only other one tall enough to be able to do so. I, I agree. I mean, I, you're absolutely right. There are no good solutions. Yeah, I mean, Silas has to just be better, obviously, and we know he can be. It just wasn't a great first couple of games. Agreed. And, and to be honest, he could have flipped that App State script if the charge was called. Instead of the block with 11 seconds to go, and then maybe he got beat on the glass, but he would have made the play of the game. Now we can get down to what's really irking you this week. It was the block charge. It is. It is. <laughs> I've told 17 people. I told Bob Kessling that story. He loved it. He was like, he was like, hey, uh, App State game, uh, lost by two. Uh, officials get you. I said, oh, Bob, let me tell you. <laughs> I went into the, oh, Bob. Went into the thing. But. Fourth quarter. ETSU women's basketball. They are three games in. They get their first victory. Congratulations, Simon Harris, picking up the W yesterday. His first win as a head coach beat Cornell by double digits, a Cornell team that admittedly has struggled to score the ball. But they have shown some impressive defense, and ETSU was able to score the most points against Cornell that they have given up uh, on this young season. And they were without Jameer Houston. I think that was probably the most impressive part is you're without one of your, at least coming into the season, most impact players transfer from Miami, went down with a leg injury against Bowling Green. They hope to have her available again in the near future, uh, but did not have her against Cornell. I think needed this victory because you got Georgia Tech coming in that beat by 39 a couple of years back. Obviously, that's going to be a very difficult matchup against um, Nell Fortner and company. Um, if you don't get this one, going to that 0-3, probably coming out 0-4 and Despite the fact that it's been an aggressive early schedule, I think you start to look around, and despite what logic says, maybe some blaming starts to go on. The tension rises just a bit, but you get this W, an important one, and Jayla Roberts looked absolutely exceptional. Uh, her career high is 34 against Missouri when she was at North Alabama, so she doesn't approach that, but, I mean, goodness, to take only 12 shots and double that in points, hit four of six from outside, she put a couple defenders on skate, some nasty moves, showed the whole game, scored from all three levels, and well, look, I mean, five rebounds, four assists, was doing other things as well. It was an impressive performance, and she really took over the game. I've been Roberts, Griffin, and Davis. I think are the three. Now, I knew, I thought Griffin and Davis coming in were probably going to be the, if I had to pick a couple of scores. Roberts, I don't know. Uh, I probably didn't know enough to intelligently speak on her game and just reading stats obviously first year one year two and okay there's a jump but you know you never really know sometimes in competition we've seen that before um, year one year two another school transfers a new school and it worked out really well or it doesn't work out so I just 
wasn't sure, but if Roberts does 75% of that a night, and then you just get Griffin to just kind of keep ho-humming, you know, 10 to 14 points on not many shots, and then you can get sparingly Ja'Kaya Davis in there to get you some double figures and 18 to 22 minutes of action, I think you got something. Um, and then I still think they want to play faster one and get up and down the floor a little more. I'm not sure how much. I'm not talking to Coach Harris um, since his first three games, so I'm, I'm kind of wanting to chat with him before the Georgia Tech game just to see where he is on where he thinks the pacing and everything should be for his squad. But, you know, I think offensive rebounding is something that ETSU was fairly good at last year, and I think they have struggled at this year. So the only thing I would say for me watching a little bit, um, listening more the first game as I was here in the studio, so and in game two watching some sparingly and watching a little bit yesterday in the car ride home um, of the second half, I just feel like they get some more on the offensive glass. That would that would be the one thing I think they need to improve upon, especially when they get uh, you play Georgia Tech, right? And if you can a not give up offensive rebounds, but if you could get some offensive rebounds and be able to get uh, some putbacks, I think that would be important. But six offensive rebounds yesterday. And I just think ETSU's got to be a little better um, there and need to get – and they need more help there uh, as far as people going to the glass and trying to get that. But, again, it may be system. It may be shocking. That's why I don't want to speak too much on that without talking to Coach Harris on his thoughts on, you know, when a shot goes up, where we're going. Now, we saw the first game where sometimes a shot went up and nobody was there to rebound, right? I think you had called that a couple times on radio where, like, it shot up and, no, you know, nothing but – you know, opposing color jerseys, white jerseys, because the Bucks were on the road to grab a rebound. Nobody was inside, so I kind of want to see a little more activity um, on the glass. That would be my one thing. Now that being said, the uptake of them getting the big win. I think anytime you get your first win, anytime you go into similar, well, I'd say ETSU beating Upstate. You know, or is it because uh, Cornell's a world beater? No, but it's because. You need the first one, right? You need to get things going. You have two road games. You get two losses. You get a chance to come home. It's important to get that road win or home win, excuse me. And I think Coach Sheriff's able to do that. And it was fun to see the celebration that his teams did. The Bucks were shooting 18% from three, and the fact that they go and make 11 of their 22 against Cornell, really, really good sign. And pretty much all of them were center cut, like dead center of the cylinder. Um, looked really good shooting the ball. They played Cleveland State, who were the WBI champions last year. Projected 6th of 12 in the Horizon League, so not necessarily expected to compete in their league, but again, able to raise a banner about 15 minutes before the Bucks played them. Then you had Bowling Green, who won 14 league games last year in the MAC and are projected 2nd there this year. And then you had Cornell projected 6th in the A-team Ivy League. Are the Bucks exactly where you thought they would be after three games? Probably, yes. And I actually did not do sort of my preseason men's basketball or women's basketball. Normally, I just you know do the schedule myself. I just don't tell anybody besides in the office. Like, yeah, I got us going this or going that, or here's what I think. And I did not do that. But yes, it, I think if you would look and say first three games, give me a record. I think more times than not, I would have said one and two. Looking at the start of this um, season, 
That's four quarters. Wildly unpopular, mega unsuccessful, not nearly as loved as four downs or fail downs, but it is back for the basketball season. Why is it hated? I think it just doesn't sound nearly as good. It does I mean, That's the only thing. I mean, and, everything else is great. I think. And to be honest, I, you know, something about four fails is fun. Four fails, okay. Well, uh, other, fail downs, four fails, I like it. I like yeah. it. Yeah. Got a few things going on. All right, what do we got? Oh, yeah. I'm great, you're not. Let's talk about that. Shohei Otani has taken the MLB by storm this season. He's the first player in MLB history to be selected to the All-Star Game as both a pitcher and a position player. The Brooklyn Nets are home. They are done. If they were committed, if they put in that work, you'd be in the Eastern Conference right now. The Brooklyn Nets are home. Watch your play up with the rest of them. Bill McGee has been added to the Team USA roster. Yes, I'll say that again. JaVale McGee. Marty Monsanto announced he would not be returning to the Buccaneers. A six foot six, two hundred twenty-five pound, three-star shooting guard was this year's Southern Conference Freshman of the Year. With Jay as my teammate, he stepped up with the 17th green to our left, the 18th tee, 45 yards away. Jay proceeds to hit for the 18th tee, the 17th green, and into the 17th ball. Let's hear what I got right, what you got wrong, dog. So I said Baylor would win by seven or more against Oklahoma after Oklahoma were five-and-a-half-point favorites. That was a genius take. Got genius. it. Genius. Got it. about e- the only thing I got right. Even though you didn't need the uh, timeout and extra field goal that they did, uh, it was so good. Oh, Lincoln Riley was so pumped. Yeah, quit complaining. You know, your team is fraudulent. Your team has been fraudulent the whole year, and finally you got exposed, and now you're just mad that you know a team finally did what all the others somehow could not do because you should have lost like four games this year. That's the only thing I got right, uh, including a horrendous bull prediction of saying New England would be the lowest scoring team in the NFL this week. They tied for the highest scoring team, putting up 45 points. 45. 45. Cleveland looks horrendous. They look uh, great. I did say that ETSU football would set a total yard record for the second iteration of football. It came up like 30 or 40 short. Like, it wasn't far away. I was pulling for you there. And you did get the most rush yards since the return of football. Well done. That is well done. I mean, just genius. I am the smartest man alive! 461. Not only the most, the most by 51 yards. It was 410. The previous number was 410 to get 461. Pretty impressive. I was happy with that. Yeah, very good. Uh, You came up, in fact, one Jalen Adams rushing TD away from ending bold predictions. You got... The Miami Dolphins on Thursday night. Eight-point underdog, baby. They Eight won by 12, 22 to 10. You got that. And you needed three rushing touchdowns. Three from Jalen Adams. You got four total, but only two on the ground. That's what I'm saying. Two fast uh, equal rush. That's, that's what I thought. Uh, not quite. All right, what's my total? Uh, you're 12 and 17. You've gotten 12 of your 20 that correct. In a, in a bold <laughs> prediction segment. That is absurd. I have gotten four of my 28, which makes a lot more sense. Which is where we normally are, short. right? If you tradition, it's where we normally are. Most of mine that I've gotten have been over the last couple of weeks. Like, I feel like I'm starting to catch fire, and then I look across the diamond, and boom, you're still doubling me up. That's why I like it. Tripling me up in the total standings. Uh, do you want to do long-term basketball bowl predictions yes. on Thursday? That would be good. And then one ETSU football. Like that way we can that. guarantee we won't get any wrong this week. Oh, that's fair. Yes, yes. And I, I maintain my lead. All right, Thursday we'll break down long-term bowl predictions. SoCon preview. Championship game. Raiders on network.